Welcome to episode 162 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. And I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, we are back this week. We are doing our finale of Static Shock. Uh, we'll begin to that as well as our shortlist. Um, before that, we'll get into a little bit of news. And uh, of course, starting with the incredibly tragic news that came out over the weekend of the, the passing of Chadwick Boseman at age 43 mm-hmm. from colon cancer. Um, I think it's fair to say that, like this hit everyone really hard uh, at a time when everyone was looking for kind of a moment of hope uh, for this to come along was really, really devastating. Yeah, I mean, I we we briefly talked about this before the podcast. I I believe this is kind of the first uh, superhero we've lost in almost thirty years. I think the last the last real passing we had was um, Christopher Reeve. Yeah, yeah, uh, and you, you just you can see why it was so painful to many people because he i mean was this iconic superhero on screen but also this incredible person um you know in the world who's seeing so many stories about you know all the visits he made to hospitals and all the charity work he did and just so many really kind touching stories um yeah i mean he was an absolute hero and that makes it that much more heartbreaking mm-hmm. there was a, a great post uh what's the the next oh, Marvel um, film oh simulu yes uh, yes yeah shang chi um, Shang-Chi, yeah, where he's starring in that. And he he had this very well-written, heartfelt post about, like, Black Panther was the movie that really opened doors for the rest of the communities to come out and kind of have their Marvel moment. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it's, it's so incredibly tragic, especially, like, with everything going on now for for us to lose such a, an inspirational figure. Yeah, and... um. Our, our friend CJ actually posted me on Twitter that I, I thought really encapsulated it well. Um, and he, he just said that, you know, um, I don't think you all understand that as black people, we get so few things that aren't weighted with sadness. Uh, black Panther was a break from that. Chadwick's performance was hope and escapism at its finest. And now that lightness is gone, there will now be a tinge of sadness. And um, I thought that really encapsulated the extra layer of tragedy here is that there are so few mainstream black stories that aren't weighted with, just sadness and um that was one that was just like unapologetically you know full of pride and exceptionalism and to now have this kind of cloud hanging over it just compounds the tragedy yeah and i've i've been trying to go through the rest of his his filmography this weekend uh so i watched black panther mm-hmm. on friday because i'm sure the rest of the world did yeah uh it is still wonderful if you haven't rewatched it i highly recommend going back because mm-hmm. it is just like I remember seeing that three or four times in theaters. Like it was so good. It is. It's it's excellent. One of the best. Um, he's in a movie called Forty Two where he plays Jackie Robinson. It's a great biopic. Mm. He's great in a biopic that yeah. is okay. Uh, I I enjoy that movie because it stars um the main guy from Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, <laughs> and it's just. It's really just great to see him in anything else. Yeah, he hasn't done much, so. Yeah, uh, and then I, I'm just about to finish uh, his biopic as uh, James Brown. Oh, uh, get on up. Just Yeah, get on up, which is just crazy. That man is a crazy man. Yeah, yeah you're, you're describing a little bit. That's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's fair to say that, like, you know, he was always great in everything he was in, you know, even if the movies maybe 
you know, didn't get this, the sort of acclaim that maybe he was hoping for. His performance is always really great. Um, you know, and you just got the sense that he was really just starting to, uh, get into that stride of being this, this leading man who could get a project greenlit just by being a part of it. Um, yeah. you know, and the, the tragedy is there are still only a handful of black actors that can do that. Um, and you know, he just, this, I think it just took everyone by surprise. No one really knew that for four years he was, um, battling, colon cancer i've seen so many posts talking about just what an exceptional filmography he gave us in that short period of time while doing all of that i mean to me that goes all the way back to civil war so pretty much anything he's done since then for for marvel and outside of that in a such a short period of time while dealing with that is further speaks just what an incredible person he was absolutely uh no so i mean it was a, a really heartbreaking thing to see um you know so rest in peace chadwick boseman mm-hmm. um but, um, you know, moving along from that, uh, you know, some some slightly more happy bit of news that came through. Yeah, we're, uh, we're catching up on on kind of two weeks worth of news because of last week was was all D.C. Yes, just a, a nonstop barrage of D.C. news. Uh, and as you alluded to, there was a little bit of Marvel stuff to uh, to talk about. And this is something that we couldn't possibly pass up mentioning, which is that Olivia Wilde was confirmed to be developing a Marvel movie, Marvel movie for Sony. Um, and the speculation mounted when she posted a uh, spider emoji after the announcement. So this is incredible. This is something we've been hoping for, right? More yes. Olivia Wilde. I just, I just want book smart, but one of them is now a superhero. <laughs> I mean, I, so I am slightly of two minds about this, uh, because mm-hmm. I'm with you. I, I really wanted her to bring that sort of, um, flavor, and personality to the superhero genre what she's going to get a chance to do my, my one slight concern here is that it's for sony. sony um you know who like to be fair they gave us in the spider-verse which is mm-hmm. i i think it's pretty fair to say the best spider-man movie um considering that there have been a few exceptional spider-man movies that one is the best one um and they clearly let lord and miller really do their thing with it so they seem to have faith in their creative sometimes, but then you get other stuff like, you know, Venom is an absolute disaster as have been pretty much all the other Spider-Man movies of late. So I was really hoping she would get a Marvel, like a proper Marvel studios film. Like I was, I think you and I talked about how great it would have been if she got Captain Marvel, which is now going to um, Nita Costa, which is, I mean, a, a great, great choice. Um, but it would have been nice to see her maybe handed a project where you kind of already knew it was going to be a success. Yeah. But I mean, so, I mean, with that though, there, we, we don't know who she's going to work with. We just know it's a female led, uh, Spider-Man film. Yeah. So with that, there's kind of three or four options. I think she, Oh, there's a lot of push towards black cat. Mm-hmm. which I think could be interesting. Uh, I've seen Spider-Gwen's name thrown out a ton, which I would love because like, we obviously know she's very good in that high school space. Oh, she is. Uh, and then we can have Jason Sudeikis come back as the, as the principal because <laughs> obviously Jason Sudeikis is going to be in this somewhere. She's got to give her husband work because he's not doing a lot right now. But I guess he, he's in a new series that people are really enjoying. His new series? It's on Apple, whatever Apple's streaming service thing is oh okay that explains why i haven't seen it uh yeah i think he's like a gym teacher and apparently people really enjoy it oh well that makes sense then uh she could do silk which i don't know much about that character Mm -hmm. uh or um or white tiger if you did you ever watch the um 
Ultimate Spider-Man animated series. I didn't know, but I've heard good things. Okay, yeah, I it, it's great. Drake Bell voices Peter Parker. <laughs> is that why is, you love is, it so much? On, it's honestly very weird to to like just listen to it and not actually watch it because he doesn't yeah. change his voice at all. It's just Drake. Oh, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, but no, I mean that that's a really fun high school story because it's it's him, Nova, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and and White Tiger are kind of like the Avengers junior team, like the Avengers in training team. Oh, that's a cool one. And they all go to high school together. I mean, I I can see that working. I mean, we're kind of assuming he's going to be something high school, but, you know, the other option, too, I've been seeing a lot of people speculate is Jessica Drew, a.k.a. Spider-Woman, who, like, has a a really complex history. She's like a spy, a hero. I I think she helps run S.H.I.E.L.D. at one point, if I recall. Um, So, I mean, I I think as long as they give her... Olivia Wilde's like a good character to be working with. And I would imagine that if she's doing this, she's doing it because she sees something exciting there. You kind of would hope that after Brooke Smart, she had a lot of options on her plate and chose this one specifically. Um, yeah. So uh, my, my, just my one, my one concern is that if it's coming out of Sony, that throws a little bit of doubt in people's minds already about the quality of it. And I would hate for, it to not get the box office turnout just because people aren't super keen on the Sony spider verse. Um, because you and I are like the, the number one champions for book smart, you especially. <laughs> and so, you know, and that's all Olivia Wilde. And so I just, I really want to see her have an amazing directorial career. So I, I hope this gives her a boost and not a, a, you know, um, a dropout, but, uh, we're, we're hopeful, right? right? We're hopeful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, we we in Olivia, we trust. Yes. And we know, like, if it is good, which we're really hoping it is, we'll kind of know a few months beforehand because Marvel will swoop in and try and steal it, just yeah. like they did with Homecoming. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, they'll be like, oh, this is part of our universe. They'll be all picky-choosy about it. Yeah, um, exactly. But, I mean, you know, th- there was another small piece of news that's shows that you know maybe sony is actually starting to kind of right their ship a little bit because they've also hired uh jc shandor who for those of you unfamiliar he has a pretty good track record so far as a director um so he did margin call which i've heard is great but i've never seen um all is lost a most violent year and triple frontier i haven't heard of a single one of those films (laughs) um margin call i think had to do if i recall with the um the 2008 financial crisis um, if you look it up, it's got a, a ridiculous, ridiculous cast. Um, like Paul Bettany, Jeremy Irons, Zachary Quinto, Penn Badgley, Simon Baker, Demi Moore, Stanley Tucci. Um, the Tooch? You know, it's got the it's Tooch. Got the uh, everything's better with the Tooch. So, you know, he did that. All is Lost was the Robert Redford movie where he's on the boat um, out lost at sea. Um, which I, to be Not fair, the one with Tom Hanks? No, not the one with Tom Hanks. Not Cast What Away. about the other one with Tom Hanks? No, uh, not Captain Phillips. No, 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 no. The other one with Tom Hanks. No, no, no. Not Splash. Okay. <laughs> I think I've gone through all the nautical-themed Tom Hanks movies. I mean, is Sully a nautical-themed movie? Uh, okay, fine. Well, you're right. I forgot about Sully. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and then uh, A Most Violent Year was with um, Jessica Chastain and uh, Oscar Isaac. Where like They were gangsters in New York in the 80s. Um, and then Triple Frontier was a, an action movie, I think, on Netflix. But, I mean, you know, a pretty good track record. So, you know, again, he's a pretty big name. I imagine if they're getting him, it's because he's excited. And so he's doing Craven, 
which I think a lot of people were bummed because there was a lot of hope that Craven might be the villain in Spider-Man three, uh, which would make mm-hmm. a lot of sense considering his role as a hunter and uh, the classic Spider-Man storyline of Craven's last hunt would fit in well with where we left Spider-Man at the end of the last movie. But regardless, you know, I think Sony's really trying to make this whole thing work. Um, you know, and the hope is that, you know, that they can do better than <coughs> Venom at this point. <laughs> So. It, that's a big ask. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at his at his movies, and it. I'm curious if this means um, Oscar Isaac might get the um, Craven role. <gasps> Ooh, oh, because it looks like Oscar seems to be his like go to guy in a lot of his movies. That would be amazing casting. Like if if I were on the fence about this, I'm a hundred percent on board now. Uh, even if only just to see, you know, two hours of Oscar Isaac with pretty much just mostly a bear chest and a, sl- a, a, a shirtless a, and a boa. <laughs> yes, with just a lion boa just draped over his shoulders, just for a mm-hmm. little bit of a, a zhuzh. Uh, for that alone, I'd watch it. So, well, I mean, we we need a whole origin story about you know how we got the boa, how he got the vest. <laughs> Did you wait, you you've seen uh, um, the Lone Ranger, right? No, like it's not great, and you can tell that there's like bits of old scripts they just left in for no reason that has like no plot follow through whatsoever. It does have an incredible train sequence at the end. Um, and wait, Hans is Oscar Zimmer's... Isaac the Lone Ranger? No, no, no. But I, the the reason oh, okay. I bring up the the Lone Ranger is that that movie has an origin for like every single thing over the course of the entire movie. It has like an origin of the Lone Ranger. It has an origin for his mask. It has an origin for his hat. Like, you know, in the the same way we made fun of Solo for, like, having to do the origin of how he met Chewbacca, Lando, and the Falcon. Like, Lone Ranger did it first. The dice that no one knew ever existed. (laughs) (laughs) That they just, like, shoehorned in The Last Jedi to remind us, hey, this dice exists. Yeah. Don't forget about it. It's going to be relevant in an otherwise completely irrelevant movie. Um, But, yeah, look, I mean... Craven's an interesting character. Maybe they can make it work. I mean, I'm a little bit worried that after the success of Venom and the success of Joker, that this is just now what we're going to get. We're just going to be inundated with a bunch of villain movies. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Black Adam last week. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, definitely this. Uh, We have a Carnage film coming eventually with uh, Ronald McDonald's own... (laughs) Woody Harrelson. <laughs> the the only reason I, I'm gonna give that movie a little bit of hope is that Andy Circus is directing it. And Oh. I I do I do love Andy Circus. Um the question I have for you is when mm-hmm. we're doing all we're gonna get all of these villain movies now, like it's inevitable. We've pretty much only gotten ones that are one-off films that live in their own universe and are tied in with uh the broader extended universe the one exception being suicide squad like Mm -hmm. for you would you rather see more movies that are you know around a comic book villain that's set in their own universe or would you rather see one where you know the hero or the other heroes in the universe like pop up in the background the same way that like you know the batman had that cameo appearance suicide squad like which to you is more interesting i i think it depends on the universe like i i think mm. if they would have done a slow setup to suicide squad and basically made it like an anti-avengers film where we kind of like every one of those characters kind of had their own story sure and then they all come together uh because i'm thinking about like assault on arkham the the animated feature oh that's a great movie and and like uh my first thought for like who should like what villain should get a movie next is like let's give one to clock king 
Like, let's make a... I mean, but not like the, the jokey Clock King, but like the real Clock King. Um, yeah. Where, you know, it, it is a heist film, and he is he's the one, like, you know, he's the Danny Ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fuck, obviously let's just played get George by, Clooney back. I was going to say, obviously played by George Clooney. <laughs> See, the exact same cast. I would watch that. I would, too. Uh, Ocean's 14, also called Clock King. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that, that I think if it's done smart, being able to like drop in little hints in there is like kind of fun and interesting. I think it's one of the one parts of Suicide Squad that actually worked was that Batman sequence. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I think otherwise, sometimes they write themselves into a corner where it's a, a movie based around a, a, a character defined by another character or that other character can't even be included. You know, yeah, I, my 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 question for you is, do you think we'll get a villain movie for a villain that isn't part of either Spider-Man or Batman's rogues gallery. Oh, not counting like, black Adam because that was already in production. Yeah. Oh, kind of like, um, are we going to get a, uh, like a Metallo movie for that, example? My, I thought about Metallo and I'm like, I don't want a Metallo movie at all. I could Look, give I, a rat's ass about Metallo. Yeah. I don't want a Metallo movie either. I would love to see Metallo in a Superman movie. I think yeah. he's actually a really interesting villain that would help resolve the problem of Superman always being way more powerful than the, the villains he's put up against. Someone he could actually go toe to toe with. I was thinking a uh, parasite for that. Oh yeah. Parasite would be good too. Like, I mean, I think I do have an interest in the potential that DC has in terms of their villains. Like I am excited for the suicide squad and if we got a Harley Quinn movie that especially focused on her relationship with Poison Ivy, like that, I'd be super interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think, which I definitely interest- think is is possible is a possibility after how well the animated series is is being acclaimed. Oh yeah, you know. So I, I think there are interesting stories to be told. I think you just have to have other interesting characters surrounding them and i think oftentimes the problem with the villain is you have to put them up against something equally villainous or um you know you can just be joker and be like unashamedly toxic and horrible which i don't want more of if you remember way back in the day i think probably the first villain movie ever in talks was x-men origin magneto see that would be interesting yeah how much de-aging can we get on Ian McKellen? <laughs> I mean, look, we still have Fastbender, you know? Just do it with him. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want a de-aged <laughs> Ian McKellen. You know what? I would watch that, too, to be perfectly honest. I absolutely yeah. would. So, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I think there are some characters you could do this with, but I, I don't think those are necessarily the ones they're they're picking. But who knows? We, we shall see. Um, but, uh, you know, there was a couple other things that I know you were super excited to talk about in regards to news. I am. One gets me a little excited and one makes me lose faith in a lot of producers. Oh, no. Uh, So we'll do Disney news really quick. So the the next Disney animated film is Raya the Last Dragon, Mm -hmm. uh, which his I I saw a teaser for last year at D23 and it looks great. It looks beautiful. Uh, But it has kind of been riddled with problems kind of since that teaser came out. So at the beginning of this year, they had uh, script reworks, which isn't normally a good sign for an animated feature because, you know, having a rework the same year it's supposed to come out is not great. Um, 
but they just announced uh, a couple days ago that they've changed the the lead voice actress. So now it's going to be Kelly Marie Tran, which mm. is great because you know it's yes. nice for Disney to like still back her and support her after uh, the, at, the chaos of Star yeah, Wars. Well, and after they really like just dumped her to a completely unnecessary role in or a completely unsupported role in yeah. the rise of Skywalker. So yeah, like the, I, I am glad to see that they're giving her this cause it's weird to say this, but I feel like Disney owes her for the poor way that they treated her. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and so she replaced uh, an actress named Casey Steele, who I don't know much about her. Um, at first I thought this was, uh, cause I know we, there's been a lot of stuff going on right now with the the BLM movement about kind of writing out white actors and actresses that are playing people of color. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so at first I thought it it might've just been that, but then I looked up and Casey Steele is half Filipino. So it is, you know, like there's actually, you know, a little more substance behind that. And it's Disney like actually choosing Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah. uh, Which, which did make me a little more excited about it. Uh, but then we also got some director changes. So I don't I don't remember who was originally directing the film, uh, but now it is co-directed by Don Hall, who directed Big Hero Six, mm. which is super awesome. Uh, and then this new director named Carlos Lopez Estrada, uh, who's really only directed one thing, uh, a movie called Blind Spotting in 2018. Uh, but Disney picked him up about a year or two ago and just kind of had him on payroll for something. And yeah, this is going to kind of be his his animated directorial debut. So I think oh, working that... alongside Don Hall is going to be really awesome and, and you know, uh, really eye opening because he did such a great job with Big Hero Six. Oh yeah, I I love Big Hero Six. Um, I feel like it's it's kind of the underappreciated gem amongst the the Disney animated like stable. Like people just don't talk about it as much. Talk about like a a tangled or a frozen ball. I think it's excellent. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's part of the new age and it is really Cause you know, it was bombarded by Wreck-It Ralph on one side and frozen on the other. Hmm. Uh, and it, it did get an animated series, which is kind of the joke about the movie was like, it, it was just a setup for an animated series. <laughs> I mean, not entirely wrong, but it stands alone. as its own movie though. Right. And, and, you know, I think animation is sometimes lucky because you're able to do this a lot of pairing directors together. So someone who has, um, you know, a, a history of success in animation partnered up with a relatively new director who hasn't done a lot of animation yet or any at all. Like, that's a great opportunity to bring in someone with a new perspective to help, you know, advance their career and give them new training and push them forward while at the same time giving them the comfort of having someone who has played in this space before. I mean, it, I know there's like a lot of DGA restrictions around having multiple directors on projects for live action stuff. I don't know what the rules apply in regards to animation, but this is something that Disney and Pixar do all the time of usually like partnering a, a, an established director with someone new. And hopefully that's a sign of good things. I mean, to your point, it's always not great when you're changing out big things on an animated movie because the lead time is so long, so much longer mm-hmm. than it is on live action. But I mean, you had a couple examples of times that it's worked in the past, right? Yeah. So, you know, the if anyone knows the story of Toy Story, it was a very different film until kind of the last couple months when they redid everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the same thing with um, 
Emperor's New Groove. They were almost three and a half years into production when Eisner came down. It's like, hey, this is a bad film. Do it again. We're not changing the deadline. <laughs> uh, yeah, which, which is also why there's a whole documentary that never got made that you can still see. No, it did get made. It never got released. Mm. But it's been leaked online since then. Uh, how It was supposed to be a Sting musical in the same way that Tarzan is a Phil Collins musical. Oh, right. Uh, and Sting, they just cut all of his songs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's got a sting. I hate you. <laughs> um, yeah, it worked for those two. Uh, I don't know as much about this one, but apparently Zootopia had the same problem where up oh. until kind of the last couple of months, it was a Nick story and Judy was just kind of a background character. And like, no, no, she's the, she's the interesting one. Uh, and obviously it worked out very well for those three. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we see it, we do see it work out every now and then, especially for Disney. Disney does seem to know what they're doing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm still excited for this film. I think it's a great premise and I think they already have a lot of great people behind it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so hopefully this doesn't change too much. Yeah, hopefully this you know gets added to the list of uh, success stories in terms of last minute changes and uh, yeah. not disasters. So, I mean, Aquafina is playing a dragon. It's, oh, what? That, that's as good as it's gonna get. Why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> like, well, because that didn't change. That's how it's always been. <laughs> yes, but you know how stupid I am. That's true. I don't go to D twenty three. I don't know these things. You should. You should. I highly recommend it for everybody. <laughs> Maybe, maybe someday. Uh, and then the last piece of news I want to talk about, just because I've gotten a couple of messages about this this week, and it each one of them infuriates me more than the next. Uh, <laughs> it has been announced that CW is creating a live-action remake of the Powerpuff Girls. Uh, and I don't get it. So... My main question on this would be, um, how is that supposed to work? Right. These are kindergartners. Let's not forget. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I did talk to someone about this last night, and they, they put it in a different mindset for me, that it's just the IP that's, that's making people confused and angry. Because like, if CW said that we're going to make a show about three teenage sisters who all have superpowers mm -hmm. and also have to deal with living the life of being normal kids. Like, okay, sure. Yeah. I'm on board with that. I think CW yeah. could do something with that, but it's the second you name them blossom bubbles and buttercup. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't touch my girls. So yeah. Cause I mean, they're supposed to be kindergartners. They are kindergartners. So one assumes that to make this show work, they're going to have to be, probably teenagers at the youngest so they can all be played by actors who are over 18 so you don't have to worry about trying to like wrangle minors on set which can be a very complicated process yeah um and if they're gonna be teenagers they're gonna be sexy teens obviously there's no other there's no other way there yeah there are no other kinds of teenagers but sexy teenagers on tv we on on tv we say with our liability team yes <laughs> Yeah, that's the only thing CW knows how to do. So, to me, that's just so much a weird idea of like, and and also just the the budget. How is that supposed to work? Like, I mean, they they make the hero stuff work, 
Um, but you know, those are expensive shows and oftentimes you can see that they're held back by the limitations of their budget. So uh, to Mm -hmm. me, I'm just waiting to see like this awkward, weird, like sexy, tinafied, low budget Powerpuff Girls show. I don't even know or watch the Powerpuff Girls and I'm still baffled by this. I, I mean, with CW, the only villain I want to see them do is him. Because I oh, think him yeah, works okay. so well with the CW world. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of cross-dressing evil mastermind with lobster hands. <laughs> Here for it. Uh, but my, my question to you is, is there a better kids show that you want to see get kind of the CW treatment? Because I, uh, I have two answers that are kind of the same answer. Um, is there a kids show that I want to, uh, I don't have any good answers to be honest. Okay. That's fine. My, my joke answer is Captain Planet. <laughs> okay. Yes. That's the best one possible. <laughs> Cause I, I want the, I'm imagining it closer to like a Sabrina, uh, where you have five horny teenagers who just want to have sex in the woods, but they're <laughs> always being stopped because the woods are burning down. And so they start a satanic ritual to summon Captain Planet, this Cthulhu-like demon from the other side to save their planet, just so they can have sex in the woods. That I would watch. The, the yeah. show you oh just God, proposed, <laughs> not the teenagers having sex in the woods. <laughs> so. um, but my real answer is, I, I don't know if I'd want CW to do this, but just getting a live-action treatment, I would love to see a live-action Wild Thornberries today. Oh, kind of make yeah. it like give the next generation this kind of um, animal activist, environmentalist figurehead they can kind of look mm-hmm. to as inspiration. You know, kind of our our version of of um. Wow, I just forgot his name. Crocodile boy, Steve Irwin. <laughs> Steve Irwin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, famously gone by the name of Crocodile Boy. Crocodile Man. Uh, no, I I think either of those could be. A lot of fun. I, I feel like the one challenge you have with the Wild Thornberries is how do you do it without Tim Curry? And you you can't really at this point. Like he he's uh, he's retired. His, he he's not in good oh, health. Oh, is he retired? Okay. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> oh and, no. I think, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So he he really hasn't made any public appearances for a while because his health unfortunately is failing. So unfortunately he's off the table. And how do you do that without Tim Curry? Does he have a son? <laughs> Uh, part two of that is he taking applications for a son. <laughs> Are you volunteering? I would like to volunteer myself to be Tim Curry Jr. Oh my God. Wouldn't we all? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I can totally understand why everyone would write to you to talk about this. Like I, in, in the same way that whenever anything like Batman or James Bond is announced, like I just get inundated with messages. Like um, it's no surprise that you get the same for Powerpuff Girls. Yes. Or anything Avatar, I would guess anything avatar absolutely anything <laughs> avatar because like of all the even like those cartoon network shows like i don't mm, can't really do johnny bravo <laughs> i would love to see like a single episode of a live action johnny bravo now just because of how problematic it was even back then yeah but i mean i i wouldn't even call it because he was always the butt of the joke Yes, exactly. Like the the show was about how he was toxic. At least that's how I recall it. Maybe with twenty twenty hindsight. Yeah, yeah. How he always, you know, was his own folly. Yeah. So I I feel like a lot of this stuff, 
I'm more curious to see what a live action version would look like than I am to necessarily like a whole movie or a, a whole show out of it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you, you, you wish you had um, like Farnsworth's uh, like other world's machines. You could just like take a peek into <laughs> the universe where <laughs> there's a yeah. live action wild Thornberry show more so than I want one to actually exist. So, so there's actually, there's a YouTube channel that did this a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're just called gritty reboots where they made trailers of just random shows getting gritty reboots. That's fantastic. Uh, I think one of their best ones is they did a Calvin and Hobbes gritty live action remake. Oh, yes. Uh, but their absolute best one is just called Gritty PBS. Uh, where it's the... They kind of remade PBS as like an Avengers program. Uh, where it's Bob Ross and um, Mr. Rogers. Bill Nye... Not Bill Nye. Um who did uh the original um space show carl sagan yes carl sagan and i yeah i guess i guess bill nye was the fourth one but it's mm-hmm. the four of them like trying to educate the world because they're being hypnotized by advertisers i'd watch that yeah and the tagline was some people just want to watch the world learn it's <laughs> like good on you pbs <laughs> Oh, okay. If, if people 100%. haven't seen it, it's like it's like three minutes on YouTube. I highly recommend watching it. It is so funny. Uh, all right, I'll be sure to throw it into the uh, the bat plugs at the bottom there because that sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Uh, any other new stuff, or should we move on to some static shock here? Uh, I think we can move on to some static. The all last right. episode. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the series finale, and um, you know, kind of the the closest we've gotten to an actual proper series finale because we love to just pretend that the Zeta Project doesn't exist. So, but the episode is power outage, and uh, and this sees Doctor Todd um, return, and we learn that he's been releasing the Bang Baby Cure into the air and around Dakota City, and the Bang Babies are starting to lose their powers, including Static and Gear. Uh, and so then desperate to save his powers, Ebon steals a sample of the Bang Baby gas. And when Stacking Gear try to stop him, the gas goes off, turning Ebon and Hot Streak into a giant two-headed flame shadow monster thingy. Um, but luckily, Static and Gear have also had their powers restored. So they're able to stop weird monster thingy by basically killing it. Uh, and then Gear realizes that he can make a cure for the cure so they can keep protecting a now mostly bang baby free Dakota. Yes. So, like I said, th- this is kind of the first of the, we'll call them major DCAU shows that actually got a proper finale. So for you, like, does this work as just an episode on its own? Does it work as a finale? Like, how did you feel about this? I, I think it works as a finale. I, I forgot about the, the, the fact that Dr. Todd was the reason that people were losing their power. I thought it was just okay. like a natural, like it had kind of gone through their system and they were losing it naturally. Oh, interesting. I think having the Dr. Todd thing adds a bit of complication to it. Because mm-hmm. obviously I have a, a two-part idea to come out of this, which we'll talk about in a second. Surprising no one. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, like, seeing Talon revert and seeing Kangor and Ferret <clears throat> um, makes this, like, a pretty kind of finite thing of, like, oh, they are, they are gone. Like, we are losing our, our rogues gallery. Yeah, I mean, the the way they kind of 
set everything up is that essentially everyone across the city is losing their powers. And to your point, we see it happen to a number of them. Um, it even happens to Ebon. It's the one time we see Ebon in his like normal form. Yep. And you know, his, his character motivation, the whole show seems to just be that he wants to run a crew. Like, I feel like that's his most recurring thing, right? It's like even the episode um, when they go back in time and meet Static's mom, he's just going to unleash the Bang Baby gas so he can run a Bang Baby crew. Like, I don't know. I Was there ever anything deeper to his motivation at any point that I missed? Uh, he has a brother. <laughs> oh, that's right. He has a brother that, you know, <laughs> that plot thread never goes anywhere either. But yeah, it's like everyone across the city is losing their powers. Um, you know, and so he gets a hold of the, the gas to try and save it. And so, yeah, the, the gas goes off in a very concentrated space. And so luckily, I guess maybe because static and gear are able to like get hit with it and then immediately disperse the gas is why they're not over infected. But then, like I mentioned, Yvonne and hot street become this giant two headed, like flame monster thingy. But at this point, as a result, it's kind of they kind of just said that those two might still exist somewhere out in the city, but otherwise, like all of the villains are gone. Yeah, I mean, we also we saw them blow up the ship. We don't know if Shiv or Talon got off the ship. It's a very good point. They they do <laughs> make like they they make a half note of like we don't know how far this gas got. It could have like you know there were other Bang Babies near the boat. Yeah, and they could have been hit as well. Because. Uh, you know, because I, I like that there's a sense of finality to this, but, you know, my thought then is what happens to Static and Gear from this point on? Like, you know, they th we can assume that from, from here on out, they're not going to be running into new Bang Babies on a regular basis. Most of the rogues gallery, if not all of it, is essentially gone. So, like, what does their crime fighting career look like such that they eventually become, you know, like, huge stable members of the justice league well i mean batman he has worked with batman he has worked with superman they both know his potential mm -hmm. and so you know, maybe they have like electric themed villains they need to call on him for you know he yeah, does like a weekend trip to gotham just pops in yeah we never see him um in justice league like we, he gets uh, a couple of guest appearances in a justly unlimited episode set in the the batman beyond future but you know, we don't really know what the next, say, five plus years of his life look like. Like, maybe it's really possible that he and Richie end up living kind of normal-ish lives from here on out um, and then start to pick up the crime fighting thing more seriously when they become adults. We don't know. Because there, there is some stuff in this episode, like, they do touch on the consequences of being Bang Babies and for Static and Gear being heroes specifically. So, like... Sharon's getting in Virgil's face because he never takes out the trash because, as she says, he's always going poof and disappearing. Um, you know, Daisy and Frida are upset that Virgil and Richie are always flaking on them. You know, we even get a little bit of talent saying that she just misses her family and wants to go back. And I feel like they they touch on this stuff. I kind of wanted more out of that idea of what could their normal lives look like so that the cure impact has, or the potential for a cure has a greater impact to them. And I, we talked about this a little bit last time, um, but I'm curious, like you, you're, you're two-parter. I was going to say, are you, are you asking for <laughs> I, a two-parter? I, I, I think in this case, a two-parter might be warranted. Um, thank God I have classic Cameron two-parter Dexter here to pitch one for me. Let me only me. Roll, up, roll up each of my two sleeves. <laughs> 
so I can get into this. Like, um, what, what would you do with this? How would you maybe make this a bit more uh, fleshed out? No, I, I, I agree. And, and we did bring it up last week, how especially after Pops knowing, mm-hmm. we want to kind of live in this new space where kind of the dynamics have changed. So I, I want to play that up a little bit more. Like we get, a, we get a little joke in this one that Pops knows. And he's like, you know, like Pops keeping my secret. And in return, I'm saving him millions on electronic repairs. I love that. I, I love that that's the only follow-up this show ever has, that <laughs> Pops know his identity. And he just uses it to fix his razor, which, to be honest, that just kind of fits Pops, doesn't it? It's like I was going to say, that's mind. the most dad, dad <laughs> way to handle it. Oh, still... Still the best dad in the DCAU. Yes. Uh, so I think you can kind of start the episode in a similar way where, you know, kind of everyone's upset with them. They fight Kangor and they get the first tease of like something's going on. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with this. But instead of instead of Dr. Todd announcing it on a random show, they're at the hospital with him and, and they kind of pull him aside. And, you know, Dr. Todd is talking to Stat and goes, hey. I, I'm sorry I didn't tell you this before, but we've already released the gas. We've already released the cure. It's out there. Will you be our um, our spokesperson for this? Like, will you come on oh. these platforms with me to kind of be the voice for Bang Babies of like, hey, I am giving up my power, so you should too. Mm-hmm. Kind of situation. Uh, and so Static can go on the platform and then kind of with Pops, the thing we've been wanting for a while now is to be like, Hey, if you're having problems kind of dealing with the situation, you can either go to the hospital and talk to Dr. Todd, or you can go to the community center. You can go talk to Robert Hawkins and he can help you through this transformation. Uh, so then you have this panning shot and this is just our cameo shot where it's every mm-hmm. villain we've had up to this point, uh, kind of sitting in this room, kind of waiting to either talk to Sharon or to pops Rubber Bandman is there to kind of help her uh, help Sharon deal with all this stuff. And, you know, he's also kind of interacting with the villains. And, you know, a lot of them are these, you know, kids that just want to go back to their normal lives. So a lot of them are like Talon. Someone, Shiv, probably makes a joke of like, you know, if they have a cure, then they probably have to have the, the formula somewhere. And so then they try and steal the thing. I think Static should lose this fight. And that's why they get away, because now his powers are gone. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be good. So I think end of part one should be Talon is now back to normal and abandoned by Ebon. Static is powerless. Gear is powerless. Um, And now you have the threat of a new Big Bang coming out. Ooh, Uh, okay. Yeah, I like that a lot. So then part two is just Spider-Man 2. Uh, But like (laughs) life is normal again. Mm -hmm. He goes to school. He has a little more confidence. He's hanging out with with a uh, Frida and Daisy and, and Richie. I don't think Richie should be handling it as well. Um, and then I think you mm-hmm. go back and you see Talon at the community center. And she's like, Oh yeah, he's going to remake the big bang. And, and then you it can t- kind of just play out from there. Maybe not have a giant two headed flaming monster. Yeah. I, I think we can, we can cut out the giant two headed flaming monster thing. Um, but I, I, I definitely like the idea going for there because I, I think this just needed a little bit more room to play. I think we need to get mm-hmm. a little bit more sense of like what the potential fallout this be, see how different characters react. I like in this episode that Richie is really upset about this because for him, 
like maybe even more so than static like his power defines him like he's a genius now like it it is something that literally affects every single aspect of every part of his life like in a way that's not quite the same for static and he's really struggling um to cope with having to go back to being you know just normally above average intelligence as he was before and i like that idea of like seeing him be like the the side that like is in a panic and i think you're right. You could, you should bring back Rubber Band Man, um, you know, because he's the one person who's kind of found a way to make his whole life work simultaneously. Like he doesn't have a secure identity. He has a relationship. He has a successful career, a successful crime fighting career. And I think if you have him be the guy who goes, no, like I'm okay giving this up. Like you know, I'm fine letting go of being Rubber Band Man because it's not who I am. Like who I am is defined by so many other things, and this gives me a chance to have a normal career and a normal life with Sharon. And if you have those two voices kind of on either side of Virgil, it puts him in this really interesting space of like, Oh, what, what is the best thing here? You know, there, there is no good answer to whether we should cure the bang babies or not. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even with the gear stuff, like I I wouldn't want it to, to be another turn. Cause we already had this episode where gear, like gay or Richie gave up his, his self for power. We had that mm-hmm. in what, like season two. Where, oh like, yeah. You, you, like you maybe even have that moment where Ebon reaches out to him. He's like, and, and says the same thing. Like statics power is just part of his life, but your brain is everything. Oh um, yeah. Like you can't turn it off. Like he can turn off his power. You can't. Mm-hmm. And so like Ebon could even tempt gear to come and, and help them uh, get the bang baby gas worked up again. Yeah, no, I like uh, that idea and, and making Ebon sort of like um like a deal with the devil sort of character. Yeah, right. At and the then end. bring and, in bring in the police chief as well. Bring in Pop's girlfriend. Yes, and like yeah, as I, Static loses his power, like she'll be like, "Thank you for all your service, but like trust me now. Like I've trusted you for the past year. Mm-hmm. Now put your faith in me, and I will get this done for us." Yeah. And, and then she becomes the two-headed monster. <laughs> oh, there we go. Perfect. We can't we can't forget the two-headed monster. Like, I, I, I guess that's maybe the issue I had with this is that if this were just a normal episode, I think it would be fine. To me, just as a finale, I wanted more sense of closure. I wanted more sense yeah, of like... more finality to it. More, more finality. Also, just greater stakes. I mean, yeah, the, the stakes are high. Like, it's whether they keep their powers or not. But I didn't feel like the episode made us care about those stakes in any sort of meaningful way. Um, And I think it did what, for me, a lot of the season has been doing, which is teasing the potential of a really interesting, deeper idea, and ultimately just having that kind of like flip pass in a second in favor of like a big, bombastic, oftentimes kind of dumb fight. Like, I think... To be honest, the, the fight at the end between Static and Gear and Ebon slash Hot Streak is one of the worst parts of Static. <laughs> like that yeah. character design is horrifically ugly. Also, they kill it. Like Static yeah, grabs they blow it up. Yeah, Static grabs a tank full of fuel and throws it at the center of it. And so it just blows up. And okay, yeah, we get like a tease of like, you know, uh Ebon swirl over the water next to the ship they've been hanging out on. And like I think we see like a little bit of flame go off in the distance suggesting like, Oh, maybe somehow they've been now separated or still alive, but he just straight up fucking murders. Them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe now we know where Terry gets it from. He, he did some training sessions with static 
in the years to come and learned like, oh, I can just kill my villains. It's so much simpler. Like, look, look, once they go past the look of human, then it's okay to murder. Yes. They're no longer human. It's fine. But no, I, I definitely think you're on the right track going from like a, a, you know, a Spider-Man 2 sort of vibe. Plus then we can absolutely include a Nickelback song in there to really just take the thing home. Oh my God, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's favorite part of Spider-Man 2. Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted like Pops to be more into it, more in it. And it's it's the same thing we've been touting for weeks of like bring, like make the community center a character. Yeah. Shaq's been yeah. there. <laughs> it's a place yeah it's just there was i don't know it there were so many things this show could have done and it felt like it just didn't quite go there with it like it, it's been good it's been a lot of fun going back and rewatching it but I, I feel like now my overall attitude towards static was um you know by the end of it it just felt more like a lot of missed potential and it, it's still still great don't get me wrong um you know, it, it did a lot of things really, really well and, and gave us some of the best episodes of all the DCAU. Um, but it feels like the things it didn't give us almost way heavier in my mind now than the things it did. Mm-hmm. So I don't uh, know, like, how, how do you feel about Static now? Like at the at the end here, like you finally did a rewatch on it. You've been dying to do this. Like do you, looking at it now, uh, do you like it more? Do you like it less? Like this was always your baby. It is. I, I don't think I like it any more or less. I, I think rewatching it post young justice i it it is a different show and it is a, a show that i thought had more in it than it does mm-hmm. um i mean to start with you thought it had way more shack exactly it i, I mean there's there's <laughs> bonus episode we're going to get to next week the the two other shack episodes uh they were only on the vhs i i don't think i definitely don't dislike the show i don't think i could ever but I think that's no. also kind of the fun of of these shows is like we've written episodes we didn't think existed or we've written them yeah. to be better in our heads. Uh, and like, you know, that as as you are a writer, that is very generous. <laughs> I have written words on a sheet of paper before. You know, I think we, we you know, a lot of these shows kind of helped uh, help improve that. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, you know, we we love. I love making these episodes two parts. You have done it once. <laughs> done it once. But you know what? The, the nice thing is now you and I are totally practiced. We can just walk straight into Warner Brothers and start pitching shows. So Yeah, and they'll probably say yes. <laughs> With the asterisk oh. that it won't come out uh, ever. No, yeah, exactly. They'll, just, they'll bury it, which they probably should. I, I think another thing they could have played on, I mean, it, it, it kind of goes against the finality of it. But, you know, Static and Gear do have their powers back. Um, Dr. Todd says that they only sprayed the gas around Dakota. So their their last line could be like, oh, you know, like some of the guys left Dakota. What, what the, the football player is not in Dakota anymore. Oh, yeah. Uh, not Chainlink. That was the villain, whatever his name yeah. was. Yeah. Um, you know, now their thing could be like, I guess we got to go round up everyone that escaped. Mm hmm. And like that, that's your final button. Yeah. Cause uh, it, it, there really is nothing else. Cause even Alva who was at one point kind of teased to be the overarching primary villain. Like they're cool now. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. He's totally cool. Yeah. They've resolved their shit, even though he's probably still super evil, um, you know, but he and Static are cool. So 
there won't be any more issues. And the reality is, like, after what happened with his son, you kind of get the feeling like he probably wouldn't experiment with Bang Baby gas anymore. Right. Yeah. So. I think I think it could have had a button with Sharon. I think would have been a great way to end it. Because I think, like, the, the last 30 seconds just needed something else besides just the logo popping up. Yeah, a little bit more. Yeah, like, maybe she goes downstairs and, the, like, the trash is gone and he made breakfast. Uh, but it's also just as bad as her breakfast. <laughs> I, I think that could have been a funny kind of button. That would have been good. That would have been uh, really he's like, good. yeah, I, like he runs out and he's like, yeah, I used your recipe. Like, thanks so much, Sharon. And she tries to fight. And she goes, I like, this is my recipe. <laughs> that would have been a really fun way to end it to, yeah. Give a little bit more of a, a Sharon moment too. And, and just to show mm-hmm. like how, Virgil has evolved like as a a person, as a teenager and like maybe get a a little more sense of maturity from him in the end um, from when he started at the beginning. But I also think you and I are just like trying to find like series long and season long character arcs now, because that's just the sort of TV that we're used to. And that's often how TV works at its best. And we have to remind ourselves like this was uh, before any of that ever happened. So, yeah. I mean, even even J- Justice League and JLU, I think we're going to find similar things. Mm-hmm. And those two are, you know, kind of peak DC. Oh, God, I know. I, I am so excited that we're, we're about to head there because I've been I've actually avoided rewatching anything. Same. Yeah. Just, just four years for <laughs> waiting for this. <laughs> oh, we'll get to it. But yeah, overall, you know, a uh, you know a, a pretty decent uh, finale to Static. But with the end of season four, we're now ready to do our final shortlist, um, one which I think has the possibility to be highly contentious. Well, we're gonna find out. I, I, I have given up a lot of my favorite episodes because of the rules we've set. <laughs> uh, you know what? I always look forward to finishing up a season for this alone because it is the most role reversal we ever have. I have so much inner tor- turmoil doing these. Doing these, I know. Yeah, um, this this is gonna be an interesting season actually because I, I didn't necessarily love it overall, but there's a lot of critical stuff. So, all right, episode one, Future Shock. I said of yes. Course. Oh yeah. yeah, we have to have that, that episode. Okay, good. I I was worried you're gonna say no because it was maybe technically not canonically critical, but it also is the only appearance of Daddy Static, and I refuse to let that go. So, yeah, and I mean, I, it's most most of the crossover episodes I include. Okay, it's like we don't. Okay. I mean, technically, we don't need the Batman episodes because they're not canonically sound. <laughs> Hey, you know Wayne. I, Wayne is funding the the cure program, but we never hear from that again. I'm just trying to make sure you feel supported because I know it is your mission to make sure we get this thing as tight <laughs> as possible. So. Yes, yes, and this this is a good episode. So we have to include it. All right, cool. So we're keeping Future Shock uh, episode two, Shabak. <sighs> yes, I said yes as well. Okay. It wasn't I, a great ending to her, but it is her last episode. It is. And I, and I looked back and we removed um, her second episode, The Parent Trap. Um, but we did include Shebang, her first episode. So I think 
canonically, it's worth including this one because it does give a little bit of closure to that, even if it was a, I think, a premature closure. Did we include the the other Madeline episode, Attack of the Living Brain Puppets? Um, let me go back and look. I, I think I would have said yes, because I knew she came back. Um, no, that was season two. We did not. We did not include oh, that one on. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, but, I mean, I guess you could you could still have this episode without having to have seen the previous one. There's enough of a recap, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can get away with it. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll include Shabak. All right. Episode three, Out of Africa. Uh, yes. Yes, I said that as well. You can, mm-hmm. We can't, we cannot exclude any episodes with Osibo. Uh, and Anansi. And Anansi, thank you. That's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, Osibo was the villain. We cannot exclude any episodes with Anansi. Uh, no, yes. I had to keep that one. All right, number four, Fallen Hero. Yes. Oh, yeah, I said yes as well. That episode was beautiful. Yeah. That might have been my favorite episode of the season. It's a great episode. And, I mean, obviously, Green Lantern, so of course you're going to love it. Uh, yep. But also, I think it's worth including because it's an interesting angle to see static feel betrayed by one of his heroes like i think there's an actual interesting story happening there that's a pretty good one so okay this is so far not as contentious as i thought all right yeah uh episode five army of darkness uh nah yeah i said no (laughs) we don't that is the episode that includes the introduction of the night breed um and once again it's just another episode of ebon trying to form a crew and it to me it just breaks more of the universe than it adds to it so get it right out of there yeah uh because that, that was another group that i was i was curious about with the cure because they're never on the surface are, are they spraying oh, the subways that's a good point actually because i don't know because i don't think everyone is aware that the nightbreed exists so it would have been exactly. static um to make sure that happens so oh that's very true actually it's totally possible that they have come through this uncured yeah uncured I'm just imagining static with like with like a Windex bottle filled with a cure and it's like spraying <laughs> the walls of the subway trains or the subway tunnels. Yeah. He's just doing a civic duty. Yeah. And Gear Gear's like, you know, I like I have a better solution for this. He's like, no, no, no. I, I got it. Uh Gear builds a robot to disperse it, but it doesn't work. So Yeah. <laughs> All right. Episode six, No Man's an Island. I I don't want to include this one because the episode isn't great. It's not. But I think so, we have to. I agree. I think we have to. I mean, it's it's not a great episode. For those of you who don't remember, this is the one where uh, Static and Hot Streak have like their bonding moment because they're stuck together. Where we learned that, that Hot Streak doesn't like doctors. Yes. Well, there you go. Very See, crucial it's, point. <laughs> it's canonically critical. Yeah. Otherwise, all of his motivation in Wet and Wild makes no sense. Exactly. Uh, so uh, for that really critical plot point, and not the very minor plot point of this resolving the Edward Alva Jr. arc, it has to be included. <laughs> yeah, I just wish they did it better. There's a lot of things I wish they did better, let's be honest. <laughs> all right. Uh, ooh, all right, here we go. Number seven, <sighs> Hoop Squad. No. Yes! Oh. <laughs> I I was I was expecting a fight on this one. Um, in my notes, I, it just says absolutely not. 
listen, listen, we need to know that there's a greater threat. And that's okay. You asked the question of, of what a static and gear do. Now there's no bang babies. Obviously they go and join the hoop squad. <laughs> it all makes sense now. So in that Wait, sense, yes, we have to include this. Can they join the hoop squad if they're not basketball players? Like as we established in that episode, it's only basketball players who have the perfect combination of like athleticism and stamina whatever the fuck it was to be superheroes i mean i there's gonna be like a greater like i feel like hoop squad is just a single section of like the espn verse (laughs) uh where it's you know espn runs all of the branches of the sports teams you have you have your uh your home runners uh you have uh with your hoop squads your home runners your what could you do for football? Uh, I don't know. Your, 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 your touchdowns. Um, yeah. You're, Cameron, you're asking me to feed you ideas about sports. Yes. <laughs> you're asking me to have to know enough about sports to be able to come up with a good superhero team off the top of my head. Well, because I mean, like, we know the ultimate superhero team is just going to be the Williams sisters. Yes. As like when they're not practicing tennis, they're obviously twin superheroes. Uh, yeah, like the Wonder Twins, the, the Williams Twins, but but so much better. But but wait, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that 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 is true. That is true. I I I am dissing this uh, Williams sisters by <laughs> by suggesting that they're <laughs> as lame as the Wonder Twins. Um, I mean, like I would totally watch the uh, the volleyball team, you know, because you know you know one of those heroes is named Spike. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, I, but there's like there's like a rift between the beach volleyball players and the normal volleyball players. Mm-hmm. It's like one of them goes rogue, and you know that's a whole other storyline thing go into. I I honestly feel like the late '90s, early 2000s, someone must have given us a like women's beach volleyball superhero comic. Like someone must have attempted that because that sounds like the most blatantly ridiculous, exploitative comic possible and that era was nothing but that i i did i have mentioned it a few times on the podcast i think peak this culture was nickelodeon had a show called super duper sumos oh that's right three sumo wrestlers that have the power of becoming superheroes which is just being better sumo wrestlers Oh, look at all of the spinoff potential that could have come from the yes. squad. Too bad we have mutually agreed that it is not included in the shortlist. And we also have everything with uh, Lunatics Unleashed that we haven't talked about nearly enough. There is no such thing as not talking about Lunatics Unleashed nearly enough, Cameron. <laughs> Even the, just the mention of its name somehow continues to breathe life into that thing. Yes. Uh, I, I need to revisit that. That was a show. I think that was my first like disappointment in animation as a child. Cause the trailers looked so cool. Mm-hmm. It, it was the show the, was so bad. The first crack in your optimism. Yes. Your, your deep love of cartoons. But then I just turned on baby Looney tunes and it patched up, patched up really well. <laughs> Came right back. All right, so now that we know the Hoop Squad's not included, uh, episode yeah. eight, now you see him. Um, no. Yeah, absolutely not. There's there's nothing of value to add to this episode. Um, all right. Number nine, where the rubber meets the road. 
I, 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 I want to say no, because okay. I don't want this to be the last Rubber Band Man episode. I think the last one was a better Rubber Band Man finale than this was. Uh, remind me which one was that one again? I don't know. But I just know it was better. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I I said yes because it was the last episode um, with Rubber Band Man because you know it's still at the end of the day a pretty decent um, PSA for dyslexia. Mm-hmm. But I can also understand the the want to not include it because it has the two worst villains in all of Static making their return appearance. Of course, I'm referring to Specs and Trapper. Um, and yeah, and it didn't necessarily do a lot of justice for Rubber Band Man. Um, but let me also remind you that we did include No Man's an Island where Rubber Band Man does have a cameo appearance. That's true. So would you rather have that be his final appearance, that cameo moment, or would you have it, rather have it be this, where his final oh. shot is him doing the cool, lean his back up against uh, static moment as they... Yeah, that was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. <laughs> there is nothing cooler. I guess we need to include it. All right. <laughs> so then number 10, linked. No. Nope. Out it goes. Get it out of here. Yeah. Um, and then I think we can kind of just include all of these in a row because I'm pretty sure you're going to say yes to all of them. 11, 12, and 13, wet and wild, kidnapped, and power outage. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we need to include those. Yeah. I mean, it's the introduction of the cure. It's the reveal that um, uh, Pops knows who Static is, and it's finale. So we have to include all of those. So, oh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little disappointed. I was expecting like a full-on battle to happen here. I, I was expecting this to be like Scooby-Doo bait level of contention. Well, I mean, if you want to fight, I can give you a fight. What do you want to no, fight I don't need about? That. <laughs> really don't need that. Actually. Dude, should you want me to argue why Hoop Squad <laughs> does belong in this canonically? Uh, no, we've already officially said no. So, all right. So that leaves us with uh, our shortlist for Static Stock. Season four, the final season, it is Future Shock, Shabak, Out of Africa, Fallen Hero, No Man's an Island, where the rubber meets the road, wet and wild, kidnapped, and power outage. That leaves us one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine out of thirteen. Pretty good, actually, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, we we kept we kept a good amount. Yeah, you know, like I said, coming to the end of this, there are things that I wish I had seen out of this show that it didn't give us. But overall, you know, this is still a a, a really fun, fantastic show, and for. Outside of Zeta being the most kid-focused, uh, I'd say quality-wise overall holds up with some of the best of the DCAU. Absolutely. All right. Well, now that we're done with that, uh, we're going to do a, a slight rearrange of the order here. We're actually going to move on to Bat Plugs next, and then we're going to get to uh, Cameron's Question Corner and finally some notes from friends. So, Cameron, what do you have to plug yeah. for us this week? Uh, I, I've been watching a couple things this week, but I, I started watching a new series that honestly has just blown me away. No, oh, uh, okay. I, I started watching this show called Infinity Train. I've never even heard of this. Yeah, it is. I think it, it was on Cartoon Network and is now shifted onto HBO Max. Okay. Um, and it's very much in that same style, like your Gravity Falls, your Adventure Times, your Star meet, Star versus Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, the very Cal Art style. But this show is so charming uh it, the season i just watched season one it's 10 10 minute episodes oh wow so okay. very digestible yeah uh and it's basically a girl uh runs away from home and ends up on this train kind of snow piercer-esque 
uh, where every cart, uh, every train car is kind of its own dimension. What? Uh, yeah. And it's, it's so genuine and, and I, I would probably say it's probably the best representation of like preteen teen angst. Okay. Uh, and I mean, it, it's with the cow art style, you know, the girl is like this, this quirky girl who's, you know, trying to be a programmer and also likes to eat onions like an apple. Uh, Very specific. But then, yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly her character trait. Um, but then like once, <clears throat> once she gets into this, this fantastical world, it's just like, oh, wow, this is very well written. Mm-hmm. And all of these characters are so fascinating. Uh, so it's three seasons. Okay. Uh, I just started season two. It looks like it follows a completely different character. So like season one is like a perfect boxed up season. It's a hundred minutes. I like it. I it was one of those things where the the last episode ended, and I'm just sitting at the screen, just going, "Wow!" Like it. It was so well done. Oh wow! Uh, oh my god! Does she have a corgi sidekick? She does. He's, he's, the, he's the king of the corgis. <laughs> okay, now I have to watch it. I, I don't want to spoil it, but there is a corgi car. There's a, a universe of just corgis. Okay, we got to wrap this up now. I got to watch this immediately. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, you said it's on uh, HBO Max? Yeah. I, I remember seeing this at Comic-Con, I guess a couple years ago. It never got a lot of publicity Mm-hmm. Uh, but a guy I went to camp with in high school, uh, whose opinion I, I somewhat recognize, uh, pretty trustworthy. Mm-hmm. He, he came out and posted on Facebook. That this is his now favorite animated series of all time. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I guess I have to check it out now. Uh, and I get it. I, I get the hype. Uh, yeah, it's got a little like Snowpiercer influence in there. It's got a little bit of like, um. Your Hitchhiker's Guide influence in there. Mm -hmm. And it's got a Corgi. So (sighs) what else do you need? All I need is Corgis all the time. Uh, What about you, Chris? What have you been watching, reading, listening? Uh, So I did promise that this week I would talk about Grant Morrison's Batman run because I did finish it. Oh, that's right. Yes. Uh, And I will. I'm trying to think of the best way to um, put out my my complete list. Um, I, I think I'll just put a link to... Uh, the comics in the show notes and I might put out as a tweet than the actual breakdown because it, it is a little bit complicated there. There is a way to read it just if based off the collected trades, but it's some slight tweaks that actually works in its favor. Um, but I have to say over well, overall I found it mostly just underwhelming and confusing. Great. <laughs> Good. Um, there is so much potential in the stuff that Grant Morrison sets up. Like the idea, I mean, his greatest contribution, that thing is undoubtedly Damien, um, a character who I appreciate much more now having read the comics. Um, Cause I've seen read little bits here and there, but mostly it's been um, his characterization in the animated movies, which he's absolutely a little shit in those movies. And he is in the comics too, but there's a little bit more depth and interest to him in, in those stories there's a lot of potentials they set up there, but I feel like even where Grant Morrison leaves that character feels a little bit um, just underwhelming. I, I mean, it's the best word to describe it. 
um, you know, even like the 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 part where Damien's teamed up with with Dick, which was the main reason that I wanted to read this. That whole idea sounded really interesting. This this whole inversion of the characters as we know them, where Batman's the more like fun goofy one and robin is like this deathly serious character like even that was interesting but i feel like the problem with morrison is he has these great ideas but he has too many and he focuses on the wrong things <laughs> it's like i get that yeah it's like you know at the same time is that we're trying you know you could tell a story about um you know dick and damien teaming up and like how do they deal with gotham as this pair he throws in like the weirdest characters and he was already starting to set up the return of Bruce Wayne, which I found just really disappointing. Like that idea of like, Oh, he's like hopping through time and the Batman of these different eras, but it's all building towards like a sense of finality and a, a conclusion to this whole thing that started back with um, Batman and son. And it just didn't have any punch. Like for me, it took until Batman incorporated for there to finally be emotional stakes. Um, yeah. And those stakes revolve around Bruce's relationship primarily with Damien. And at least those stories then too are incorporating all, you know, like the, the Batman and women of all these different countries and the, the Batman ink stuff was actually interesting. And I felt like wasn't as weird and out there as the rest of his stuff. So that I at least liked. Um, but the problem is by the time I got to that, I'd already read like 80 fucking comics. <laughs> and it just it really didn't quite live up to the potential i was hoping for so look i guess if you're if you're a big batman fan and you've always been curious about it i suppose from a completist perspective it's worth reading just to understand like what that series was um and i did burn through it pretty quickly like i was more or less engaged as i went along i just didn't feel like it actually really built anything that i was super engaged with or, or excited by um so i i will put out my what i'm going to call like my list as best as i possibly come could put up with it or put it together of the right order to read it in um but i mean like if, if you're looking for a a really good batman story i actually have a second plug which i think is better which is i read um white knight which was the story where the joker is cured and decides to run for public office and basically to fix Gotham in a way that Batman, the GCPD haven't been able to do before. Oh, um, interesting. Sean Murray is the, the writer and artist on it. And as a kind of meta look at the Batman universe and as a kind of one-off own unique story, it's actually really good. I really, really enjoyed it. It's um, only eight issues. It's pretty short. Uh, it's a, it has a lot of interesting things to say about Batman and Joker and Gotham. Um, and it, it definitely acknowledges where Batman can be as much a problem as he is a help. Um, yeah. And it's a story that also really understands his characters well. And, um, and Harley plays a, a big part in it too. And, and she's really, really good the way they portray her. Um, you know, and it's clearly got a lot of influence from Betos in there too. You know, it's like, Bullock and Montoya are pretty essential characters. They make references to moments we've seen before in uh, Betos, even down to the point of Croc making a reference to hitting Batman with a rock, which I really loved. Amazing. Um, but no, it, it's, you know, it's kind of a cool story. If you know the Batman mythology well, you know those characters, which I imagine if you're listening to this, you probably do. I think you'll enjoy it a lot. I mean, to, to me, that's an actual genuine recommendation, like to the point where um, I will end up buying that as an actual like bound trade book to keep on my shelf to go back and revisit in a way that I'll probably never do again. Um, 
with Grant Morrison stuff. So if you're curious about Grant Morrison, like I said, I'll put out the list. I guess it's worth a read. But um, White Knight, if you were kind of on the fence about it, I would actually highly, highly recommend it. I was really impressed by it. So Cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, and everything's all up on um, DC Universe. Uh, and then the last plug I have is... For I now. was like, What? <laughs> yeah, DC <laughs> Universe for now. Um, and then my last plug was I was a guest once again on a uh, friend of the show and former guest Sam Gash, his podcast, Ideal Remake. Did I plug this already? Uh, do it again. Who cares? Okay. <laughs> I honestly can't remember. <laughs> it's been kind of a crazy few weeks. But if I didn't before, I'm plugging it again. Yeah, I was a guest on his podcast. So, uh, you know, the i've gone on and his show is all about pitching a an ideal remake of a, a movie or a property so i've gone on to talk about superman i've gone on to talk about james bond and so this time it was to talk about the avengers and no i'm not referring to marvel's avengers but instead uh the 1998 film the avengers starring ray fines uma thurman and sean connery which is famously one of the worst movies ever made and having Amazing. rewatched it i can confirm it is in fact one of the worst movies <laughs> ever made <laughs> a completely incoherent absurd mess um but i mean that means i have to watch it though doesn't it you, you, yeah i mean it's right in your wheelhouse those, are, those are my films yeah it's, it's terrible you'll love it uh but it also you know gave us ample grounds to come up with a cool fun take on how to do it again um you know basically how do you do this sort of like spy fi 1960s type story in a modern uh context and uh it's it's always fun getting to those episodes of sam he's a great guy and it's a great podcast uh so mm-hmm. that episode's out i'll link it in the notes would highly recommend going checking that out nice so, yeah all right so uh cameron you had a really fun question we're gonna do a little cameron's question corner here i did uh, welcome back to my corner everybody <laughs> It's comfy. Uh, There's pillows everywhere. There are a lot of blankets. Uh, so we we kind of we kind of talked about the flip version of this question at the mm-hmm. at the top of the episode. Of we have we've seen a trend recently of, of shows getting kind of this gritty reboot, uh, but it wasn't always this way. Back in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, we had the reverse of this trend, and a lot of classic cartoons were getting baby forms of their of their characters. We had Baby Tom and Jerry, Baby Looney Tunes, Baby Flintstones, mm-hmm. um, uh, t- uh, Tiny Tunes, which is th- the same thing. Oh, yeah, probably the, maybe the best one of all of them. Uh, pup Named Scooby-Doo. Oh, Pup Named Scooby-Doo! I was going to say Pup Named Scooby-Doo is the best of all of them. And so my question for you is, what show now would you like to see get this Baby Tune version as a so series? I, I, I was thinking about this. I was trying to think of um a a good answer on this i was trying to be like what show um could actually do this and make it work also which show would people want to see a childhood version of um and my answer is west wing babies oh i'm so down for it. that's a great answer holy an, shit that's a good answer an aaron sorkin scripted take it's it's animated so you can get all the voice cast back which is like one of the best casts ever to be on tv you get all of them back um playing super precocious versions of themselves um who like are at a you know like in kindergarten and they're all doing like kindergarten politics Mm -hmm. (laughs) like who's running for class president all sort of stuff um and the main reason i want to do west wing babies is because you know that show famously had the walk and talk every exposition was done as they were talking through a corridor well this show would have the crawl and ball where they're crawling around and they're just complaining about all the dumb shit that's happening 
That's good. I like it. Yes. I like it a lot. Uh, with, with West Wing Babies, there, there was a show short lived on Comedy Central called Little Bush. I remember Little Bush. Little Bush. Uh, yeah, where, where he is a, a, like a, a first grade version of George Bush, George W. Bush. And it's so bad and funny. That was the first thing I thought of when he said baby, uh, baby West Wing. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was uh, my pitch, but I feel like you have actual real suggestions for this. I, I have one. I've been trying to think about it because, like, one of my favorite episodes of Jackie Chan Adventures is they have a kid episode where they all turn into kids, and it's very cute and very funny. And Jade stays the same age, so now she has to babysit all the baby versions of her family. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, but there's a webcomic that I've been loosely following for probably 10 years now maybe even longer mm-hmm. called j jl8 yes i've seen bits and pieces of this yes and it is the cutest and funniest it is the justice league in kindergarten it's adorable and it's so cute and i want this as a series so badly uh because we got like a, a hint of this um in jlu that one episode where yes. they all become kids. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's a fantastic idea for a show. For a show. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think if there's like another... Because I kind of put all my eggs in that basket. I didn't think a lot about <laughs> the rest of the animated world or live action world even. I, um, look, I mean, even if that's your one shout, that's a great idea. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like that would also have room to be really clever and meta, which I, I think DC has found a way to do that kind of better than anyone else at this point mm-hmm. and yeah i'm imagining because like in in the web comic you see it's all the heroes are in the same class so imagining all the villains are in another kindergarten class and they always <laughs> have their like when they all go out for recess together is when they have their like big fights yeah oh that'd be adorable it would be so cute I'm just looking through some panels on this right now and just I'm not even reading it. I'm just looking at the art and it is so, so cute. Yeah, because I mean, I think like Batman and Superman are like best friends in this, but Batman doesn't like to have friends. Yeah, there's there's one panel uh, that used to be like my Facebook photo because I loved it so much. And it was Batman walking down the hall, uh, like throwing his like throwing his hands up. Mm-hmm. And Superman being like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm playing Spider-Man." It's like, "Oh, can I can I join you?" It's like, "Sure." And it's them both just like doing the web shooter hands down the hallway. Aww. And I'm like, so "I cute. just want this animated so badly." Uh, does it ever address the fact that Bruce's parents were murdered? They do actually. No, they do. <laughs> not not that they were murdered, but uh, I think it was. I think they have like a a career day thing where everyone's supposed to bring their parents in. And Batman and Superman are the only two that can't like Aww. bring in their their real parents. Yeah. Oh, that's actually sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, should we move on to notes from friends? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, well, yeah. So if you guys have any suggestions of shows you would love to see done as uh, you know a, a baby version, um, yeah, write in and we'll include it in our notes from friends section. Uh, so we did have a few people write in. Uh, we had Ashley Clark who chimed in um, to talk about the Batman trailer and she said that she was super excited for it um 
it's Detective Batman, which I haven't really seen yet. And also uh, Matt Reeves has mentioned that he was really inspired by a great comic by Darwin Cook called Batman Ego, which I, I have and I've read. Um, okay. And it's a, it's a great story. Ash is a big fan of that. So was, she was also excited to see that that was an inspiration point. But she actually had a, a good point, And I wanted to kind of raise it to you as a, a question. So she said, um, it's probably too much to wish for, but why can't we get a vision of Batman as hope? Like 2020 has driven home more than ever that apathy is one of the biggest hurdles we face. And Bruce does not have an apathetic bone in his body. And whether people want to recognize it or not, that has to at least partially come from a place of love for others. Um, and no Batman movie has addressed that. You know, she said the Timverse skirted it, um, you know, including a little bit in epilogue, but otherwise we haven't seen that played out. And so that's kind of a, a question I now turn to you, Cameron, is do you think there's room for a more you know, hopeful, optimistic Batman, or are we just going to get, you know, further escalations of dark and gritty? I, I think in this version specifically, it's, it's going to lean more into the dark and gritty. Oh, clearly. Yeah. I mean, this um, is probably the, the darkest, grittiest, even though every time they make a new version, they say it's the darkest and grittiest. Yeah. And, and like there, there's even a, a thread going around that I shared with you about like, hey, Batman is is exactly everything that we don't want in society right now. You have a guy going above the yeah. law to kind of beat answers out of people because he's not really a detective in these movies. And hopefully this one changes it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th there is definitely a way to look at Batman as basically just a, a justification for police brutality and extreme behavior. It's like, oh, that is eh, not ideal. Yeah. So like that, that obviously does not work very well in today's climate mm -hmm. um but i mean i there there's absolutely a way to do it show him having sympathy for his for his rogues gallery yeah um i don't know if you can do it all in one film but i think it can't be like your first batman film i think it has to be a sequel where you know you get the dent where he has to you know really sympathize with dent you have you like have a ventriloquist movie. Like I think that would be so fascinating. A Mad Hatter, yeah. even where like his villains. You know, a lot of his villains are just psychotic people who just need someone to help them. Yeah, and that was something that I liked the DCAU <clears throat> touched on. Is we got moments of him trying to help rehabilitate his his villains, and we haven't really seen that in a movie. And I, and I get in a movie you have to establish like big stakes. Mm -hmm. Um. And you can't we, do it with Joker. I mean, you can't really do it with Riddler either. No. They're, they're kind no. of past the point of, of redemption. No, you can't. And you're right. Like, I think that can be an... if That would work as an element of a, a more fleshed out Batman universe. Like, you know, I think to me still the, the greatest disappointment about the, the failure of the, the Justice League DCAU was a, a universe where all these characters just got to exist and we just got to mm -hmm. be in that space, you know, where you know a, a batman exists that has a history that is established in that sort of universe you can have the you know philanthropic element of bruce wayne played up a lot more right you can see him actively going out there and trying to help people and you can see that you know he's also trying to do that as batman a little bit but it's it's harder and he's more challenged by it and you can put him in a really interesting morally challenging space um but, you know, like there are hopeful versions of Batman, the brave and the bold, you know, a show that I was always very skeptical of and now have finished and 
absolutely love is a, a hopeful, positive, optimistic version of Batman. And that version of Batman has every right to exist along with the darker, gritty versions. Yeah. And I, I think even like we, we see it in JLU and I think it's a lot of people's favorite moments is when we see Flash handle his rogues gallery and when you see him mm-hmm. handle uh, the trickster. Oh, and yeah. I, I could even imagine a moment where I, I can't see it in a movie format, but just have that moment where like Batman sees how other people handle their, their rogues gallery mm-hmm. and handle their villains. It's like, Oh, just because you saw Superman twist the neck of his villain <laughs> doesn't mean that's how you have to handle all of your villains. Oh God. It just goes to show how fundamentally broken that universe was. <laughs> but... Yeah. The character whose literal symbol is hope. Yes. <laughs> Uh, oh, this symbol on my planet, it just means fuck it. Yeah, it just means kill everything. Yeah. Look, the, the Batman looks interesting. Certainly, I'm intrigued. Um, but, you know, the, there there is room for something a little bit more upbeat. And maybe that's something we could use right now. Yeah. So. Uh, but one other thing I want to include in uh, Notes from Friends here is... Um, a couple of amazing pieces of art that uh, got sent to us. So uh, Harold George and uh, Gordon Wills both sent their versions of Batman Beyond Condiment King and posted on my Instagram. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. If you go to our Instagram page and you look under uh, tagged photos, you'll find them there. Um, and I'll, I'll try and find a way to put them more prominently, like up on a story or something like that, because they're really, really cool. Um, and I just, I'm so excited that they uh, took on that challenge and sent them over. I love it. Oh, I love it so much. These are so mm-hmm. good. They're really, really good. Oh man. That, uh, that, that pompadour, man, that's a good <laughs> pompadour. It's an amazing pompadour. And, and the, the design is filled with like these amazing little, um, details. Yeah. Great job. You guys, I love this. Yeah, no, they're they're absolutely fantastic. So, like I said, I'll, I'll find a way to get them more prominently displayed up on uh, on Instagram and Twitter. But uh, no, they're they're super amazing. So, guys, thank you so much for for doing that and for uh, you know showcasing that. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and also, go follow both of them. So, yeah, it's um, the art of Gordon Wills and uh, Harrow Artist on Instagram and Twitter. They're both up there. So, go check them out. Um, but yeah, if you guys have questions for us if uh, you have you know suggestions on what would make for a really good uh, kidified version of a tv show or if you have ever thoughts on static shock or you know all the dc news that's coming out recently you can find us at tim talk pod on facebook twitter instagram and gmail you can find me at lordifer on twitter and instagram uh yes and if you want to see my art you can find that at cameron.dexter and if you want to see my face uh you can find that at cam dexter underscore adventures Oh, and this is our final time signing off for Static Shock. We're back next week yeah. with the premiere of Justice League Secret Origins, the three-parter. Um, Cameron's going to see if he can find a way to stretch it out to a full on four. Yeah, just just like the Snyder, just like the Snyder cut. <laughs> <laughs> four parts, hour long each. Uh, but no, very, very excited to get to that. Cannot wait. Um, but until then, thank you as always for listening and goodbye. Yeah, I'll talk to you later. A superhero static shock. Woo woo. A superhero static shock. Woo woo.